1814, there was a guy by the name of Ivan Krylov. He wrote a fable entitled The Inquisitive Man. And it tells the story of a man who goes to a museum and he notices all kinds of things. He notices the smallest, most minute details. Things that a lot of people may overlook. He notices these small things in the museum, but he fails to notice an elephant. And it's from this, this fable, from this story that was written in 1814, that comes the phrase, the elephant in the room. And it became proverbial. And Mark Twain uh, alluded to that, and it just grew and grew. And to, to the point where we now talk about the elephant in the room many times. Well, in each and every life, in every home that's represented here and across our city, sometimes even in churches, there exist certain problems or realities that we don't want to acknowledge. The difficult and challenging situations in our lives that we don't want to deal with. We think that if we just ignore them for long enough, they'll go away on their own, but they never do. We convince ourselves that it's not really that big of a problem where we allow others to convince us that, that even if it is a big deal, no one else really notices what's going on. It doesn't matter that much. It becomes the elephant in the room. And over the last five weeks, we've been talking about the giants that we face in our lives that stand between us and all that God has for us. These giant situations or challenges, they range from things that are just uh, extremely frustrating in our lives to things that are completely life-controlling. Maybe your giants caused you pain or it's cost you relationships. I've heard from many of you over the course of the last five weeks that are facing giants in your personal life. Some are facing giants at home, others in the workplace. See, giants are no respecter of persons, and there's no set pattern, and there's no boundaries for where these giants can pop up and how they can challenge you in your life. As we've been dealing with this over the course of this sermon series, I've challenged you to face and confront your giants. Every single week, in fact, a part of the sermon has been dealt with being willing to face the giants in our lives. The army of Israel was unwilling to face Goliath. They were unwilling to step up. They didn't have faith in God. And as a result, Goliath remained unchallenged for 40 days and 40 nights. Only David was willing to face the giant. We've talked about the qualifications of giant killers. We've looked at getting rid of excuses and delays and complacency. I've challenged you to tune out the voice of criticism and not allow that to become the giant in your life that keeps you from the real giant that you're supposed to face. Last week, we even talked about what not to wear as a giant killer. And maybe you're hoping that surely, somehow this week, we're going to actually talk about defeating giants. Maybe for you, the elephant in the room is that you've been waiting over the last five weeks that you've been coming and you've been wanting to learn about how David kills Goliath. You've been coming to hear these five sermons and after five weeks, Goliath still isn't dead. You're like, surely this guy could preach this sermon of David and Goliath a little bit faster and we could discover how to actually kill our giants. Well, I've got some good news for you and a spoiler alert. You're in luck today. Today and, and next Sunday is going to be the finale of this series. And we're going to look at killing the giant about what it takes to really face and conquer and defeat the giant in your life. So as you remember in our story, there's two opposing armies that are camped on opposite sides of an enormous valley. The Israelite army and the Philistine army. Every day a giant named Goliath came out and would challenge and provoke the Israelite army. Every day he issued a challenge to anyone willing to fight him in a one-on-one -on -one representative battle. If Goliath loses, the Philistines lose. If Goliath wins, 
the Israelite army would lose. For 40 days, Goliath issued the challenge twice a day. And all 80 times, the Israelite army, including King Saul, ran away terrified. No one was willing to face Goliath. David arrives on the scene. He observed the situation and decided that he was going to fight the giant Goliath. After facing criticism from family and even King Saul, he determined to fight. He, he rejected the king's armor and said, I'm going to fight the same way that I fought battles in the past with God on my side. And not only did he determine to fight, but he was convinced he could win. And that's where we're going to pick up today in 1 Samuel chapter 17, verse 40. It says this, Then he took his staff in his hand, and he chose five smooth stones from a stream. He put them in the pouch of his shepherd's bag, and with his sling in his hand, he approached the Philistine. Meanwhile, the Philistine, with his shield bearer in front of him, kept coming closer to David. He looked David over, and he saw that he was little more than a boy, glowing with health and handsome, and he despised him. It gives you a little bit of an idea of maybe what Goliath looked like. <laughs> mm -hmm. He said to David, Am I a dog that you come to me with sticks? And the Philistine cursed David by his gods. Come here, he said, and I'm going to give your flesh to the birds and the wild animals. David said to the Philistine, You come against me with sword and spear and javelin, but I come against you in the name of the Lord Almighty, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. This day the Lord will deliver you into my hands, and I'll strike you down and cut off your head. This very day I'll give the carcasses of the Philistine army to the birds and the wild animals, and the whole world will know that there's a God in Israel. All those gathered here will know that it's not by the sword or the spear that the Lord saves, for the battle is the Lord's, and he will give all of you into our hands. As the Philistine moved closer to attack him, David ran quickly toward the battle line to meet him. Reaching into his bag and taking out a stone, he slung it and struck the Philistine on the forehead. The stone sank into his forehead, and he fell face down on the ground. So David triumphed over the Philistine with a sling and a stone, Without a sword in his hand, he struck down the Philistine and killed him. We looked briefly at this speech by David a few weeks ago, and I told you that it's a pretty incredible and bold speech. In just 124 words, David gave what has to be one of the most impassioned speeches of all times. Forget what you think about Braveheart or Gladiator or even Rocky. Like, David's right up there in that kind of company. If it, What David says here is amazing. And if he made this speech today, that thing would go viral. It'd be on YouTube within the hour, and it'd have a million hits before the end of the day. I want to break down to, for you some parts of this speech because there's some significant lessons to learn here that will help us with the elephant in the room and taking on our giants. I want to look back at the very first thing that David says in verse 45. He said, you come against me with sword and spear and javelin. We see something significant that we can learn here, and that's that we have to state the truth. That giant killers identify and size up the situation. Some people can look at this and they can wonder why David did what he did. Some people might even think that it's a lack of faith to acknowledge Goliath as a giant and think that instead David should have said, oh, you're not a giant or you don't have any weapons. But you see, that's not how faith works. Faith isn't denying the reality and the details of the situation in our life. Faith doesn't require you to be blind to actual situations or deny the truth. Faith is simply trusting that those things that are not seen, in spite of the things that are seen, everyone could see Goliath. Everyone could see that he's this nine-foot, nine-tall giant. 
Everyone could see the, the advanced armor and the weapons that he has. The, the spear that, that's, that's weighed out, the spearhead that's 15 pounds in and of itself, the, the shield that he has, an extra armor bearer that's coming out to fight. Everyone could see that there really was a giant there. So denying that there was a giant, denying the fact that he had weapons, that's not what faith is all about. Stating the truth of the situation isn't in any way causing you to have a lack of faith. Over the course of this sermon series, I've encouraged you to identify your giant, even to write it down. By acknowledging the giants in our life, we aren't lacking faith, but on the contrary, we're identifying the specific giant issues in our lives so that we can pray for them specifically and see God specifically answer those prayers and defeat those giants in our lives. It's not a lack of faith. I believe, to the contrary, it sets the stage for a miracle. The enemy's going to come in as your giants are defeated. He's going to begin to tell you, oh, that would have happened anyways. God didn't do anything. That was, that was just the normal course of the way the situation was going to work itself out. But when you write that thing down, you begin to specifically pray, and you begin to believe God for that giant to fall, you're going to know that God moved on, on behalf of that giant. These situations, these issues in your lives that you've been facing for years that you haven't seen any progress in, and all of a sudden God comes in and answers prayer. The enemy is not going to be able to come in and lie and deceive you. You've got to identify what your giant is. State the truth of the situation. Jesus would regularly ask people, what do you need? And this question wasn't because Jesus didn't know. In fact, many times the answer was obvious. Jesus is asking a blind person, what do you want me to do for you? He's asking a cripple, what do you need? He's asking the person with leprosy, what is it that you'd like to see happen here? It's not because Jesus didn't realize the obvious, but he still asked, why? Because stating the truth isn't a negative confession. It's identifying the giant in your life to be defeated. It's stating the truth and recognizing that God is able to defeat that giant in your life. And David did this well in the second half of verse 45. He told Goliath, you come against me with the sword and the spear and javelin, but I come against you in the name of the Lord Almighty, the God of the armies of Israel. Your view of God is going to determine your perspective of the circumstance that you're facing. It's so interesting because David served the same God as the rest of the Israelite army. But they ran in fear and refused to face Goliath while David faced him in faith. That could lead you to say, well, then the faith wasn't the determining factor or God wasn't the determining factor. But in reality, it was. It wasn't because they, say they didn't serve the same God or they had a different God. They had the same God. But the rest of Israel just had a small view of God. We talked about it last week. They didn't want to be ruled by God. They wanted to be ruled by a king that they could see with their eyes. So they got Saul, who was good for a while, but ultimately his heart shifted from the things of God. They didn't want to obey God. They, they wanted this king that they could see. And as a result, their, their small view of God determined their perspective of the circumstance they found themselves in with Goliath. But David had a different view of God. To David, this was the Lord Almighty, the all-powerful, undefeated, and undeniably great God. Goliath was still an imposing giant with incredibly huge weapons. David knew that, but what, what, what he was doing is he was reminding Goliath and all of the Israelite army and all of the Philistine army as well that he had a big God. He was probably reminding himself also 
Because David had this different and much bigger view of God. He wasn't intimidated by Goliath because he knew that God was able. He had seen God work in the past in his life, and he knew that God was able to help him with this situation. What is the giant in your life? It's okay to state the truth about your giant, but then don't stop there. What is your view of God? It's okay for you to say, I'm sick, but don't stop there. I'm sick, but God is able to heal me. It's okay to say I'm an addict, but don't forget that you have a God that's able to deliver addicts. You have a God that promises to supply all your needs. You have a God that's bigger than any situation that you may face in your life. So don't just state the truth of your giant. State the truth of your God. Do you pray believing that God is all-powerful and nothing is impossible for him and that with God's help you will defeat your giants? If your view of God is big, then your giant is always going to be small. But if you are looking at your giant and it looks big, it's because your view of God isn't big enough. You need to identify your giant, but at the same time recognize that you have a giant God that's able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that you ask or imagine. So maybe you haven't done it yet over these past few weeks, but I encourage you right now to write down your giant. Write it on your phone. Write it on the back of your worship guide. Write it on a note in your Bible somewhere. Write down that giant. Begin to pray specifically for that giant because I'm praying that God would specifically and clearly defeat that giant in your life and you would know that it's because of the big God that you serve. After stating the truth and having the right view of God, David continued to speak to Goliath in verse 45. He said, I come against you in the name of the Lord Almighty, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. David saw the spiritual nature of the battle. We have to see the spiritual. Giant killers understand that the battle isn't against flesh and blood. David understood this was bigger than just David and Goliath. This wasn't only a physical battle. It was a spiritual one. David not only had a big view of God, but he was, he was letting Goliath know and he was letting his own army know, and he's letting the Philistine army know that you're not just taking on David, you're taking on David's God. This is such an important aspect of understanding the spiritual aspect of the battle. On the one hand, it's kind of scary because it's not just a large, imposing giant that you're facing. This is the devil himself and all the forces of hell conspiring against you in the spiritual realm. And when you come to that realization, it's pretty scary. But on the other hand, if you have a big view of God, and you should, then you have nothing to fear. Because your giant isn't coming against you at all. It's coming against the God you serve. It isn't some isolated thing, but it's a concentrated attack of the enemy against God and his plan for your life. You should be excited because it should not only remind you who is against you, but it should remind you who's for you. Now, I do think that there has to be some balance at some point. Some people give the devil too much credit and they blame him for every problem that they have. And the devil's really just not that good. Not every flat tire and untied shoe and dirty diaper or sniffle is caused by Satan. Sometimes it just rains on the godly and the ungodly and sometimes it pours on them both at the same time. But I'm convinced that Satan is behind the giant obstacles that stand between you and your God-given purpose and destiny. There's things that God created you for. There's things that God has in store for your life that he wants to see you walk into. And the things that oppose the plan of God for your life, that's a work of the enemy. We've got to see the spiritual. We've got to remember that the battle belongs to the Lord. 
David saw the spiritual nature of the battle and he declared that he would have victory over Goliath. Some giants are just physical or they're just emotional, but some are spiritual. And I think when you get to the core that a lot more are spiritual than what we think are spiritual. Even when you think, oh, my giant's just that I smoke a little bit or I drink a little bit more than I need to or I lose my temper a little bit more than I should or I just say a few things that I shouldn't say when I lose my temper or I just get a little bit sad sometimes. It's really not a spiritual issue or I just look at some things on my phone that probably sometimes I shouldn't. It's not a spiritual problem. Are you sure about that? Because what is the enemy able to keep you from by having that giant in your life? When there's something that you can clearly look at and say, there's this giant and it may appear that it's only happening in the natural, but I'm seeing that it's keeping me from God's plan for my life, then it's a spiritual problem. As you look at the giants in your life, one of the key factors in having a victory over that giant is using spiritual discernment to see the spiritual nature of the situation. What's going on behind the scenes that you cannot see in the natural? What's going on in, in this that, that isn't able to just be seen with your physical eyes? Once you see the spiritual aspect and begin to fight, not only in the natural, but in the spiritual as well, you understand that God is on your side and there's no spiritual force that can oppose God's will and plan and purpose. But there's often still a battle that has to be fought. How do you fight a spiritual battle when you do it in the spiritual realm? It begins with prayer, getting on your knees and going to the Lord and beginning to talk and beginning to pour out your heart and beginning to acknowledge your need for Him. And don't just pray by yourself, but find other people that will pray for you. Find other people that will pray with you. I would encourage you to enlist an army of prayer warriors to pray on your behalf for the giants that you're facing in your life. You've got to pray and then you've got to hear God's word. You've got to surround yourself in an environment where the truth is going to be spoken and where you can hear and receive, where you can dig into the, the truth of God's word on your own and begin to apply those things to your life. Spend some time fasting, which is not just not eating, but it's the reality of saying, I need less of me and less of the things that I crave and less of the things that my life is built upon. And I need more of the things of God. I want to be less hungry for the natural things and more hungry for the spiritual things in my life. When I don't eat a meal or when I miss a meal, my body begins to tell me that I'm missing something, that there's something that I need and something that I want. And the reality of the situation is I could miss a few meals and it wouldn't really miss anything at all. But how come when I'm missing some spiritual things in my life, there's not something that goes off that begins to tell me, man, you're really hungry for the things of God. You really need more of the spiritual things in your life. You've got to develop a hunger for those things of God in your life. That's how you fight in the spiritual. You begin to put your spiritual disciplines into practice. It's things that the world doesn't value and that you're not going to be taught or you're not going to learn in school or, or from our culture, but it's things that are so important to fighting a spiritual battle. <coughs> so after David stated the truth and he saw the spiritual aspect of the battle, he continued his passionate speech in verse 46 and 47. He said, This day the Lord will deliver you into my hands, and I'll strike you down, and I'll cut off your head. This very day I'll give the carcasses of the Philistine army to the birds and the wild animals. The whole world will know that there's a God in Israel, and all those gathered here will know that it's not by sword or spear that the Lord saves, for the battle is the Lord's. David said it, said it like he meant it. Giant killers face giants in faith and they expect to win the battle. 
David expected victory. He was facing his giant with faith. He basically guaranteed a win over Goliath. He did. He's telling Goliath, you had your fun for 40 days and it all ends today. I'm going to completely destroy you. And you can almost feel the tension building up between these two armies as David says these things. Every coach of a sports team will tell you that you don't go out and you make big, bold statements right before a big, important game. You're giving the other team bulletin board material. It just fires them up all the more to come against you. And, and the, probably the most famous incident of this happened in 1969, right before the Super Bowl. The Jets were huge underdogs in the game, and almost no one expected them to be able to compete at all. And you can tell this was a long time ago because the Jets were in the Super Bowl. <laughs> if someone says anything about the Cowboys, it's on. The Jets were huge underdogs in the game, and no one expected them to be able to compete. Their quarterback, Joe Namath, was known as Broadway Joe. He showed up to the Miami Hotel in a turquoise Cadillac. And what he said that night is as famous as anything that he ever did. The Jets will win Sunday, he said, and I guarantee it. To be clear, Joe Namath's prediction wasn't only cocky, it was insane. This was long before the NFL was was balanced and as competitive as it is today. Today, there's underdogs that win games, but really, it's not as big of a surprise, and this time, it was unheard of. The Baltimore Colts were 18-point favorites. They had the second-best offense in the league as well as the best defense in the league at that time, and Namath wasn't even 100% healthy. Many people were predicting a blowout win for the Baltimore Colts, but what happened instead is the Jets won 16-7. A journalist from that time said, that following the claim and the win by Joe Namath, that he became more famous than anyone on the planet that wasn't a member of the Beatles. <laughs> now, despite how it worked out for Joe Namath, that's not something that you want to do as a competitor to fire up the opposing team. It's rare that anyone will make statements like that today, except for, for some reason this week the Eagles coach declared and guaranteed a, a win over the Dallas Cowboys today. So you can check back with me this evening and we'll see about that. The thing about Joe Namath was that he didn't just guarantee an unlikely win. He went out and he performed. He went out and won it. He was the MVP of that Super Bowl. He defeated his giant and he believed what he said. I'm not sure as David's making these bold statements that the Israelite army is really encouraging him or they're getting fired up. They're probably thinking, what in the world are you doing? You're going to make that giant mad. Don't poke the giant. But David keeps trash talking. Imagine this. I mean, if you could go back to any point in history, there's a lot of different places that you'd probably choose to go back to. But imagine going back to this time to put yourself in that valley as David's going out without any armor. He didn't have a sword in his hand, it says. And he's going against this giant. He begins making these bold predictions. He begins declaring victory over Goliath. And he doesn't just walk, but he begins to run toward Goliath. Would have been an incredible sight to see. And I don't believe that we just get whatever we say. Name it and claim it, that kind of theology has an a tendency for abuse in our lives, and we have to be cognizant of that. If God gave us everything that we want, we'd have major trouble. Too often we want things that don't line up with God's plan for our lives. Sometimes chasing the things that we want that don't line up with God's plan for our life is the reason that we have the giants in our lives in the first place. 
So it's not just to say that you're going to defeat your giant and click your heels three times and, and fake it till you make it kind of thing. That's not what I'm talking about when I say say it like you mean it. We have to be careful of that. We have to use wisdom in the sermon. But on the other hand, there is a faith element to this whole thing. There is a part of it that you're not going to see it all laid out before you, before you believe. And if I had to come down on one side or the other between faith and doubt, I'd rather land on the side of head-scratching faith than to land in a place of doubt. I love how David not only boldly says it like he meant it, but he also begins to act like he believes it. He prepares. He faces the giant. He runs toward it. While you say it like you mean it, don't stop there. There's two more things you need to do along with saying it like you mean it. Say it like you mean it and act like you believe it is the first thing. If you say you're going to defeat giants and you're not willing to face your giants, then you don't believe it. If you say that you know God can do it, but you don't defeat your giant because you're always looking at how inadequate you are, then you don't believe that God can do it. Say it like you mean it and live like you believe it. And the second thing is say it like you mean it and then flip the script on the enemy. And David does this beautifully. He takes the very thing that the enemy said was going to happen to him and he turns it around on the enemy. He flips the script. What the enemy meant for you instead becomes his fate. I want you to begin to speak over your situation in faith and to give the enemy a dose of his own medicine. Satan would love nothing better to destroy you and keep you from all that God has for you. Instead of that, instead of destroying God's plan for your life, declare that Satan's plans will be destroyed for your life. Instead of allowing Satan to discourage you, you discourage Satan by the way that you live your life. Your enemy wants to stop your purpose and your mission. Instead, allow your purpose and your mission to stop the enemy. Your God is an odd-defying, underdog-empowering, table-turning God. But don't just say it like you mean it. Flip the script on the enemy. Begin to, to put him in his place. Do that. Live like you believe it, and then go out and kill your giant. Go and defeat the enemy. So David boldly and passionately said it like he meant it. And then I want to read those verses again because I want you to notice one other thing that he does as we conclude here today. He says, This very day I'll give the carcasses of the Philistine army to the birds and the wild animals, and the whole world will know that there's a God in Israel. All those gathered here will know that it's not by sword or spear that the Lord saves, for the battle is the Lord's, and he will give you into our hands. David shouted it from the rooftops. Giant killers defeat giants for the glory of God. Notice what David didn't say. He didn't say, then the whole world will know that David's going to be king. He didn't say, then the whole world will know that David's the only brave soldier in all of Israel. He didn't say, then the world will know my story because I'll go on Oprah and get a book deal. He never said any of that. He said, then the whole world will know that there's a God in Israel. David gave God glory before his fight with Goliath ever began. We get entirely too self-focused as our culture is built on that. Think about what I'll be able to do when I defeat this giant. Think about how many people will buy my book. God gives you power to, to defeat giants in your life, not to elevate you and bring glory to you, but to elevate him and bring glory to him. Giant killers defeat giants for the glory of God, not to make a name for themselves. When your giant is defeated, there's an opportunity for everyone around you to know that your God is a powerful, giant-defeating, miracle-working God. And if you take credit for what God did, you're soon going to be facing giants that you're not strong enough to defeat on your own, and you're going to be facing 
them alone. God gets glory for the giants that are defeated in our lives for two reasons. The worship team wants to go ahead and begin to prepare. The first reason is we shout it from the rooftops because God deserves it. God defeated the giant in your life. He deserves the glory. He did, if, if for no other reason than that and that alone, God deserves it, we should give it to him. But there is a second reason as well, and it's important. We shout it from the rooftops because there's other, other giants to be defeated. There's other giants that other people around you are facing. Have you ever thought that what God brought you through might not have only been for you, but that maybe God wants to use you to bring other people through what you've been through? There's other people that are facing the same giants that you have faced and they need to hear that God is able and that he brought you through it and that there's hope. So we've got to shout it from the rooftops because there's other people that are looking at what we've gone through and they need to hear it. God moved in Hannah's heart to share with us this morning and it lines up exactly with what this part of my message is. We didn't talk about it. She had no idea what it was working, but God wants someone here to know today that we overcome by our testimony. There's power in the words that we speak and in sharing the things that God does in our lives. We've got to shout it from the rooftops. Are you kidding me that on Saturdays people will go to football games and I go, I've got nothing against the football games. They'll go out in 40 degree weather though. They'll scream and they'll holler. And some of them will take their shirts off and they'll paint their bodies. And others will walk around in nothing but a bucket. But on Sunday, when someone raises their hand in church or gets a little excited about a giant that gets defeated, people will look at them like they're weird and they'll say, what's wrong with that guy? Something's not right about that. Get as excited as you want about football. I'll get excited today when the Dallas Cowboys prove Doug Peterson's prediction wrong and bring his guarantee to nothing. I'll get excited. I won't run around in a bucket. It's okay to get excited when giants get defeated. Shout it from the rooftops. Post that on Facebook. There's enough food pictures and cat pictures and political posts on there. Post something that God has did and share that with somebody. The elephant in the room today isn't that you've listened to five weeks of messages and that you don't have some simple giant killing formula. The elephant in the room is that for five weeks we've been praying for you and challenging you to face your giant and telling you that it's going to require you to step out in faith. The giant elephant in the room is that you have everything that you need to defeat your giant. But have you done it? Stop measuring the size of your obstacle against your own strength and begin to measure it against the size of your God. If you want to see your giant defeated, you've got everything you need. It's as simple as stating the truth. Identify your giant. Hopefully you already have. You've written it down. You know what the need is. Begin to see it in the spiritual realm. Understand that it's God's battle and he will fight with you and for you. And maybe that's the next step for you. Maybe it's just a faith issue of just saying, I see the giant and I understand in my head that God is going to fight, but I'm looking at the giant. Stop looking at the giant. Begin to see the spiritual nature of the battle and begin to trust God and begin to step out in faith, understanding that it's God that's going to bring down the giant and not your own ability. Begin saying it like you mean it, stepping out in faith. Living like you believe it. Flip the script on the enemy and give him a dose of his own medicine. And, and then go 
go and defeat your giant. Take that step of faith and see God do it in your life. And then when it happens, you shout it from the rooftops. You defeat your giant for the glory of God and tell everyone that you can about it. Begin to share with other people that are going through the same situations that you've gone through. Begin to share that as you pray for victory in other people's lives and see God begin to defeat those same giants over and over and over again. simple as doing those four things and it's possibly the hardest thing that you'll ever do but you don't have to do it alone when you stand all over this place today I know what time it is and I want us just to take a moment for us to put into practice what we've said today you know the situation you know the reality of the situation you know what your giant is Jesse's going to lead us in this song today and I want to encourage you begin to see the spiritual nature of the battle that there is, to begin to say it like you mean it and to declare some things today that you can't see in the natural, but you believe in the supernatural that God is going to work out and he's going to defeat in your life. Begin to, to live like you believe the things that you say. We don't, we don't really believe the things that we say we believe. We believe what we do. So begin to do. Let's just take a moment. Maybe you want to stand where you are. Maybe you want to raise your hands. You want to kneel at your chair. You want to come to an altar. It's not about what you do or what your posture is. Simply would you focus on what God wants to do today, his presence here. Would you allow him to solidify and seal and speak to your heart today about your specific situation?
to surround yourself with God's word. Maybe spend some time even fasting and saying, God, I just need more of you. Begin to fight in the spiritual. And some of those giants are going to be defeated this week. Some of them are going to be defeated today. We're going to continue to hear this last week. We heard some more people sending us messages and emails and all kinds of stuff and saying another giant was defeated. I was able to face my giant today. Those are incredible stories. And I believe that more of that's going to happen this week. But next Sunday, I'd love to pray for every person that will allow me that's facing a giant situation, struggling in a situation or area of their life. And we're just going to pray and we're going to believe God that we're going to see those giants completely defeated over your life. And it's going to be a shout from the rooftop moment that God's going to resolve that giant situation in your life and then he's going to begin to use you to help resolve giant situations in the lives of other people that are facing those similar things as you are. I believe what's going to happen. Will you pray? Will you spend time doing battle in the spiritual realm and believe God and we're going to see it happen. We're going to see it happen. The giant that you're facing today is not the giant that you have to face 